0: Welcome to Insight. If you're new here, thank you so much for joining us on this audio adventure. I'm Chris Van Vliet. I'm an Emmy award-winning TV host, and I'm fascinated with finding out how people are wired to achieve greatness. On each episode, we have in-depth conversations and reverse-engineer the habits and techniques of the world's top athletes, actors, entrepreneurs, commentators, you name it, if they're the best at what they do. I want to get their insight and help you apply it to your own life. Ian Riccoboni is not only an incredibly talented play-by-play commentator as the voice of Ring of Honor, but man, he is one of the nicest people you will ever meet anywhere, within wrestling or otherwise. And his story is one of passion and grinding to where he is right now. It was such a pleasure to share this conversation, share this time with him. If you're not a subscriber... Uh, You're going to want to be after hearing this conversation. Take a screenshot, tag us on social media. Ian is at Ian Riccoboni. That's R-I-C-C-A-B-O-N-I. And I'm at Chris Van Vliet. That's V-A-N-V-L-I-E-T. And can I ask for a favor? If you have a minute today, could you leave a review on Apple Podcasts? It would be so helpful. So, so helpful. Attilia P says... It's truly an insightful podcast. One day I saw his interview with Chris Jericho in a car pop up on YouTube, and I watched it. Ever since then, I could not stop watching his interviews. I've learned so much from the wrestlers that I grew up watching, and it's amazing how open they are in these interviews and the stories that they share. Chris is amazing at what he does, and I can't wait to see who he interviews next. Well, thank you. And I can't wait to see who I interview next either. That interview with Jericho is one that I think a lot of people will mention. Like, oh, it's the first interview of yours I saw, which means a ton to me because Jericho so kindly gave me that time. He hadn't really done any interviews with anyone talking about signing with AEW. So we did, I drove four hours to where he was doing that. It was a live podcast in Ocala, Florida. I drove four hours there, did the interview in the backseat of his car for 20 minutes, Got in my car, turned around, drove four hours back, and started editing it while we were driving back. So it always means so much to me when someone says that they watched that interview. So thank you. Speaking of Florida, speaking of upcoming interviews, I'm going to be in Tampa for WrestleMania weekend. So if you're there, please let me know. Send me a tweet. Send me an Instagram message. I'd love to see you there. I'm going to be at WrestleCon at the FanDue Belts table that Friday and that Saturday. It'd be so great to see you. It'd be so great to meet you. Be so great to snap a photo with you. So can't wait to see you there. All right, my guest today is the voice of Ring of Honor, ladies and gentlemen, the amazing Ian Riccoboni. Ian, I wish everyone could see what we just went through to make sure that this <laughs> looks and sounds as good as possible.
1: <laughs> I've been told that lighting is the key to everything, and that's an old. Uh, Carry silk Silken axiom and you know what I couldn't go on without the lighting being just right we're getting some interesting <laughs> winter weather with the snow reflecting and the sun going down so We're trying to light the room as best we can here with (laughs) with all the external elements.
0: Now we spent the last 10 minutes figuring out how this could look and sound as great as possible. But here we are.
1: Yeah, we made it. And I'm I'm so glad to be here.
0: (laughs) No, thank you for coming on. It's always so interesting to see where people are doing these from. I, I believe it looks like you're in a spare bedroom right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is the guest bedroom. This is when uh, my parents come up or my wife's parents come up. This is where they stay. And uh, it's about about to be redecorated with some wrestling stuff. So Uh uh, yeah, I got a whole bunch of these uh, 1955 Parkhurst wrestling cards. I just happened to have them here, but I finished the set and, uh, yeah, I got some, got some displays coming. So next time Grammy Moo and Grampy Doo and Nona and Nona come up, uh, they'll, they'll be enjoying some vintage wrestling trading These cards. These are the
0: greatest names ever for grandparents.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Those, uh, well, Nona and Nona are Italian. So my uh, last name's Riccoboni, uh, and then Grammy Moo and Grampy Doo, uh, for whatever reason, my wife calls her mom Moo and her, uh, dad Doo and uh, so they just became Grammy Moo and Grammy Doo. <laughs> oh, my
0: gosh. I love this.
1: <laughs> what hat is this that you have on, by the way? This is the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. Uh, they are a AAA team for the Philadelphia Phillies. And uh, they're in Allentown, my hometown. And uh, I don't want to say too much right away about Allentown because I'll take up the whole interview. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you and I have baseball in common. I, I grew up playing baseball. My dad and I now have a tradition where we go to a different Major League Baseball stadium every single year. We've been to 23 of them. So you and I
1: definitely have a lot of common ground there. Absolutely. Yeah, my my dad and I, um, it's interesting, my dad was never a huge sports fan, and he uh, made it his mission to kind of do similar things with with him and my brother as kids, because my brother and I were always really into baseball. Um, really into basketball. I got really into wrestling, obviously. And it wasn't his favorite thing, but he'd make really good efforts to take us to see the Phillies. And then, um, you know, take us to see, we had a team called the Allentown Ambassadors, which is a minor league team here for a while, uh, and made sure that that we were able to see and, and do the things we liked. He, him, he and my mom would take us to the wrestling, but my mom would love to go because if Ravishing Rick Rude was there, or later Edge and Test, uh, she she had an enjoyable time. <laughs> oh <you> know, my <laughs> gosh, how did your dad feel about this? I think he was okay. He got wrapped up in the spectacle. Um, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily dislike wrestling, but, you know, he still talks about to this day seeing Psycho Sid and The Undertaker. And whoa, those guys were huge. And do you remember Yokozuna? And do you remember? So it's really neat after all these years that he still remembers going to those events uh, you know as a family everybody together and just you know him bringing up these names and he'll bring up some some ones off the beaten path too like uh, hey do you remember that guy that was a dentist (laughs) you know isaac yankum (laughs) or hey who was that guy that had the the red trunks he was jacked and he, he eventually described ahmed johnson so you know he's got this keen memory for for folks we saw in person and uh yeah it's amazing and i I really admire, you know, being a dad now and knowing that, you know, my kids aren't always into the same things I was in. Uh, I really admire him trying to reach out and really kind of grind through going to see wrestling or taking us to baseball games and things like that. Well, not
0: only did you have the Allentown Ambassadors there, you were a bat boy for them, which I am very jealous of. Every time I go to a minor league game, I'd be like, how can I be that kid?
1: Yeah, and it actually came about because my dad and I went to a lot of games and we just got to know a few of the people there and eventually well, one of the owners nephews was a bat boy and I mean the attendance at its max was 4000 so you had a good chance of knowing you know knowing somebody or meeting the owner uh so over time in 98 I was a bat boy for a couple games and then the whole seasons for 99 and 2000 and it was neat. We had some major league players. We had Kim Batiste, who had a big hit in the uh, 93 playoffs for the Phillies. Um, Rich Hunter, who pitched for the Phillies. Trey Beeman. And then they'd bring in, kind of like wrestling, because it was unaffiliated minor league baseball, they'd bring in the legends. So I got to meet Pete Rose, Steve Carlton, Goose Gossage, uh, Buck O'Neill, all of these Hall of Fame players and, and ambassadors and things like that. So it was a really cool experience to, to have as it's a, as a, going into my teenage years.
0: I hate to do this to you. You mentioned the 93 World Series. You're from yeah. Philly. I'm from Toronto, so you know uh, where this is going.
1: <laughs> yeah, I Mitch Williams. I actually blame it less on Mitch Williams and more on the 15 to 14 game. The Phillies should have never mm-hmm. lost that game where yeah. 29 runs scored. Um, David West had a bad night earlier in the night. And it shouldn't have got to Mitch Williams. Um, They should have won game six and it should have never even if David West did, you know, what he did all season. That's the part they don't talk about. You know, by the time the ball got to Mitch Williams hand, he was in a jam. And uh, I don't necessarily blame him. I think there's a lot of different things along the way that went wrong in game six. And uh, they should have been trying to close it out in game six. They should have won that game. that was 15 to 14.
0: <laughs> well, you know, no matter who you cheer for that, Joe Carter home run is one of the, I think it's the most legendary home run in all of baseball.
1: It's definitely up there. It's uh, you know, there's that there's Kirk Gibson, um, Bobby Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, there's been a couple too, um, you know, for me, I think of uh, Utley in game one of the Tampa series in 08. Sure. Uh, you know, just kind of setting the table and setting the tone. Um, there's some fun ones, too, from that 08 Phillies team. Joe Blanton, a pitcher, uh, went deep in, I think, game three. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, the Phillies, we, we ended up getting one in my lifetime, which is all I asked for. <laughs> just wanted one World Series. <laughs> yeah, at some point. <laughs> right. <laughs> still waiting on that Sixers title. I'm a Sixers season ticket holder. And uh, I'm still waiting on the Flyers Stanley Cup. And I think a lot of people are. It's been since 75 <laughs>
0: Man, I was a big Ron Hextall fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Man. he was great. I so you're a, a season ticket holder for the Sixers. How often do you go to games?
1: Yeah, uh, before the world closed down, I was going to maybe one out of every four, and I have the full season. Okay. And um, me and my buddy Chris, he uh, he and I went to high school together, and we became very close. Over you know even beyond high school, um, it was something where as a kind of a reward for not a reward, but to celebrate him uh, beating leukemia for a second time, we went in on six or season tickets together and, We've had them since 2012, and um, we try and go to as many as we can. Uh, what's interesting is that, you know, over time, they become more desirable, obviously, as they become sure. a better team. So the first year we bought them uh, was the 12-13 season. Uh, we literally, there were times when we could not give the tickets away, where no one would take them. And that was the year they tried to trade for Bynum. They were borderline playoff team. They missed the playoffs, and that was the year before they blew it all up. And then talk about, you know, trying to give tickets away. We couldn't, you know, for the next two or three years. Uh, and then a beat finally took the court and all of a sudden, every, hey, Ian, you still got those tickets? Hey, Ian. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's been it's been fun. Um, you know, when when everything's opened up these days with, you know, with Ring of Honor and everything, usually one in every four games uh, or thereabout, we get to go to.
0: Do you remember the first live wrestling show that you ever attended?
1: Yeah, I have a kind of a funny story about that. Um, we in Allentown, there's Ag Hall, which was where a lot of the WWF uh, TV was from 77, 78 to 84, 85. Um and that's in a big building where they now run garage sales. They call them the world's largest garage sales. Wow! And in the summertime, they open up uh, an area next to it. And it's the Great Allentown Fair. And it's a, kind of a grandstand, like you'd see on a postcard. Um, it's a really neat architectural setup, late 1800s style. Um, and there's kind of a big stage. And almost, you know, if you've seen, if you've seen an old time movie with horse racing, it's kind of like that setup where it's very steep concourse. And so... My mom uh, and my brother in 1991, they were all excited. They said, "Ian, we're going to take you to see wrestling." And I said, "Great!" And we had bought tickets, and I was all excited. I was a little nervous, um, but we we went, and we went to Ag Hall. And we were wondering where the wrestling was because that's where the wrestling had been for years. Yeah. So it turned out it was in the grandstand section. So we really only got to see the the last two matches. The main event uh, was, I believe big boss man and IRS. So we didn't necessarily get the, uh, the best event, but over time, um, you know, 1994 is when I really remember the very first event and that was in Bethlehem, which is neighbor's Allentown. And, uh, we had a really fun superstars TV taping and I got to see Bret Hart and Yokozuna, Owen Hart, uh, Razor Ramon, Diesel, uh, you name it, they were all there. And it was a lot of fun. And, uh, my parents, I could tell, were getting bored because it was—you'd uh, have some of the more enhancement-style matches. Sure. So they were kind of like, "These matches are lasting a minute. What are we doing here?" And I was loving it because I got to see everybody.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, you dropped some big names there. Who who was your guy when you were a
1: kid? Oh, when I was a kid, uh, I really liked The Ultimate Warrior. He was he was my guy. Uh, I liked anybody with face paint. Ultimate Warrior, Leader of Doom. Uh, I did like Brian Pillman and Tom Zink, some of the kind of earlier high flyers, uh, at least earlier for my lifetime. Um, but yeah, if they had face paint, if they did cool moves or bright colors, I, I was so home.
0: <laughs> did you ever think when you were a kid that you'd be working in wrestling when you grew up?
1: I. It's interesting. As a kid, yes. Um, when I went to high school, no. because you know, for better or worse, you you do have teachers and you have guidance counselors that try and do the right thing. And they try and say, Hey, you, you might be able to do this and you probably can, but just in case, have you thought about becoming a computer software engineer? Have you thought about uh, becoming a scientist? Have you thought about becoming a nurse? Have you thought about becoming this? And they mean really well. And it's a good thing to have in the back of your mind that, hey, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to have to try and do something different. Sure. Um, so, you know, by the time I got to high school, I was, I was a little scared off about it because you start to think about the odds. You know, for wrestling right now, there's a handful of TV shows. So there's maybe eight people that have the role that I have right now. And if there's, let's say, 10,000 people that really want to do it, that's really low odds of being able yeah. to go on and do it. And when you get to college, though, um, I kind of fell backwards into a couple things. Um, my first week on campus, I got cast for an MTV special with Bill Gates and I was only on it for, you know, 30 seconds, but it was cool. And I thought, wow, I, you know, all I did was send in my picture and I wrote a little thing and this is going to be easy. I'm going to be on TV forever. And that was four years later, I got my my next TV. Thing. So there was a time as a kid, absolutely. And um, you know, in high school I, I started to think about maybe a backup plan. Um, I even got in a wrestling ring when I was in high school. Uh my friend Chris, who stand-up comedian, he got us into the Wild Simones Training Center. Wow yeah we filmed some we filmed some stuff for his film class at at DeSales University in Allentown. And we had a lot of fun. But that moment, that first time I fell on my back, I knew that I was not cut out to be a wrestler, no matter what sports I played, no matter, I just didn't have the pain tolerance. And all it took was one, one bump. And I knew that wasn't it. (laughs) You know,
0: you mentioned this thing that you did with MTV. You were also like a child actor, like you were in some commercials growing up, right?
1: Yeah. And those, that's the weirdest thing too. And my mom always reminds me of of this. She, you know, my mom, my mom always reminds me that, hey, this is not a surprise to her because when there were things that came up, I had a friend, Tony, uh, whose mom worked for this company, Kids Peace. And they're an organization that helps at-risk youth in Lehigh Valley. And you know, his mom said, hey, we're filming a commercial. Uh, you know, Would Ian like to do it? And I said, sure. And it was with Jim Cott, who was a baseball player who won 200 plus games. And here's a really good pitcher. And so that was kind of the first thing I did. Then I did one with the ambassadors. And so as I was excited, as my career progressed, my mom was, you know, the eternal believer. And, and you know, she's saying, hey, this shouldn't be a surprise. You've done these things to help you get here. Yeah. You know, it's great. You should celebrate, but don't act like this was a surprise. You were the, you know, you may be shy, but you were the one that was raising their hands to try and do these things and try and be in the, the commercials and try, you know, volunteering to do the school plays and musicals and things. So, Yeah, it's weird because over time I forget that. And uh, my mom, you know, she'll pull out the photo album and and show the pictures of me as a Mountie from the school musical or things like that.
0: (laughs) When you were going to college, you studied communication studies, right? Yes. So same here. So when you were Mm -hmm. going to college, did you have the the dream, the idea that you were going to get into broadcasting when that was done?
1: I did. And I was looking for different opportunities. Um, I was really into music and... I did, uh, I got enough of a following in college that I had a commercial on MTVU where I was a semi-finalist in the Best Music on Campus competition for 2006. So I thought there might be fruit there, um, you know, singer songwriter stuff. I later wrote a TV show theme song. The show won an Emmy. Um, I did not. The, the song did not get nominated. Wait, which show? <laughs> um, it's called Lehigh Valley TV. And so they won uh, six Mid-Atlantic Emmys. And uh, unfortunately we tried to not get the song nominated. It did not, it did not meet the standards of the, uh, the mid Atlantic <laughs> Emmys, but you know, I, I tried to keep up with that. I tried to do different things around campus. Um, I didn't do the journalism path. I know a lot of people that do communications and media, uh, they either double major or they take a lot of journalism classes. I did a lot of television and film classes that weren't necessarily production-based. They were kind of deconstructing film, deconstructing television. Um, I did a few things that would supplement broadcasting, public speaking, um, persuasion and propaganda type classes. And those were the things where I would get the reps, so to speak. But I found it more useful to try and volunteer. Uh, For instance, in Orlando, uh, in between my freshman and sophomore year, I volunteered and read the news on the Orlando NPR affiliate. Hmm. And so, I went down. I stayed with my brother for a summer. He happened to live by the NPR station. I went on the website and noticed, hey, they're looking for volunteers to do this. This is free experience. I mean, this is something that, you know, you can't buy this kind of experience. So I would do things like that. And I would look for different ways to get involved in in broadcast and TV.
0: But I think that's so important to key in on that. So many people don't want to do an internship or don't Mm -hmm. want to volunteer because they go, my time is worth more than this. And I always try to explain to people, you can't buy that kind of experience. Like you need to go in, cut your teeth, pay your dues. And I'm so happy to hear that you did that.
1: Yeah. And you know, there is once, you, once you're once you experienced enough, once you have sort of a brand or a product or something that people are asking for and asking about, that's when you can start to make those decisions. But there is a point where you need to find you. And a lot of companies aren't going to pay you to <laughs> the time to, to find yourself. Um, I was fortunate enough with Ring of Honor where I was the backup play-by-play guy. I did the internet exclusive matches, and that was good enough to help find me when the opportunity came. But I came in—I don't want to say a finished product because I—I still have a ton to learn. But sure. I came in a lot closer to being a finished product because of those experiences, because of you know being at the monster factory for for as long as I was, uh, because of the the you know, the volunteering at the NPR station doing cable access TV in 2009 and 10, you know, those are sort of things that, again, it's that, you know, it's that mom on, you know, tapping the shoulder and reminding you, Hey, you've, you've worked really hard at this. <laughs> there are things that you've done and you've given up a lot of your time. Enjoy this. So, yeah, yeah. I there's did, I, yeah. What was your
0: first job after you graduated.
1: Oh, what's that? I'm sorry.
0: What was your first job after you graduated?
1: <laughs> I worked at a Marshall's department store. Hey. And so, yeah. And it was the, it was the perfect job at the time. Um, I had applied, I got my degree in media and communications. And while I was at NYU, I thought I want to work in residence life. I want to work in the dorms. And so I went to the University of Pennsylvania and pursued a master's degree in education management. And while I was there, wasn't right for me, I could tell. Um, so I finished the degree, I got out, I applied for a ton of jobs. And the only person that called me back was seasonal employment at Marshall's, the department store. And I knew I was going to have to start paying my loan soon. Um, I moved back in with my parents, I kind of, you know, bit my tongue and bit my lip and moved back in and started to save some money. And from there, once you have a job it's a little easier to find other jobs so yeah. i started working for uh, a pharmaceutical call center after that and then you know that gave me some flexibility to pursue the wrestling and i was still doing the music a little bit uh, there's a weird intersection where my band actually played music at wrestling shows for a while <laughs> so there was uh, a lot of different things but yeah the first job out, out of college was uh I was the shoe the shoe coordinator at Marshalls. <laughs> I, I love
0: me some Marshalls. There's some good right. deals in a Marshalls.
1: Right. What kind of music did you play? Or did you play a lot of rock? Yeah, we played uh, a lot of Bruce Springsteen stuff, um a lot of original stuff. Uh the band was Midnight Accord. I think we have some lingering web uh, DNA out there where you might be able to see, you know, see us play. Um, Our big claim to fame was that we once had Colin Jost and uh, Nassim Perjad uh, jump up on stage and sing TNT with us at a club. So, (laughs) yeah, but we had a lot of fun with that. Um, You know, as a teenager, uh, I'd go to see Bruce as much as I could. uh, Bruce Springsteen, um, Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. So I really liked, you know, I like 60s 60s R&B, soul, um, then into Bruce Springsteen, that 70s rock. And we just did a lot of that. And we tried to do some originals, too.
0: You're like a renaissance man with all these stories. (laughs) You've done it all. Bat Boy, band member, marshals in the shoe department, (laughs) (laughs) voice of Ring of Honor, you know.
1: (laughs) I try. I try. I I, I always want to keep moving. It's so weird. I have this... Kind of internal desire just to not stop learning and doing different things um i played the bass guitar and i sang in the band but before that i played the viola and the oboe and there was always just this weird need to learn and i can't i could never put my finger on it and i think that's why i like wrestling so much wrestling, yeah. there's so many wrestlers so many moves so many different ways to tell a story that it's always like a choose-your-own-adventure book. There's always something to be created and, and art to be created out of the, the environment. So, Ian, what is it that you're learning right now? Yeah, learning right now, it's it's how to call matches in a, in a bubble environment, I think. <laughs> That's the big thing. And I've been really lucky that Caprice Coleman's my partner these these matches that we're having in Ring of Honor, we're focusing a lot on the pure style right now. And I'm lucky to have a partner as knowledgeable as Caprice is in martial arts, in submissions, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, who knows and can talk to the moves that we're seeing because he's actually trained in them. He's actually experienced them. And so I know what they are, but Caprice can tell you how they feel. And so that combination has made a, a really nice pairing. And the tricky part now is calling the, you know, calling the matches in the bubble environment. There's the hesitancy, there's the hesitation, They don't want to be too loud, but you got to let it all out. And, you know, it, it was after the first couple of matches, I talked to Jonathan Gresham, David Finley, uh, Jay Lethal, Rocky Romero, and spoke to them and said, hey, can you guys hear us? or, you know, how does it make you feel when we get to a nine or a 10 or Caprice yells out, oh my God. And mm. it adds, you know, the general response overall was it adds something for them, you know, without the crowd being there, without the extra noise being there, it it, it kind of helps feed back some of the energy in the building.
0: Do they ever react to what you're saying?
1: <laughs> no, but we had a, a, a near miss. Um, there was... Capri- one of Caprice's signatures on big impact moves is the, oh my God. And he, he does it really loud and you know, it's, it's great. And, a lot of our production team broke at a time, you know, at a time when he did that in the last taping, but the wrestlers do not, the wrestlers are focused on the match. So, uh, the production team, you know, we, we've mixed them down (laughs) if you could hear them in the broadcast. And, uh, thankfully, thankfully that did not make air them, them breaking. (laughs)
0: Because you've been, you know, if you watch UFC now and they're doing this in their bubble, sometimes mm-hmm. the fighters will react to what the commentators are saying, like Michael yeah. Bisping or Daniel Cormier will say, "Ah, oh, you know, he needs to needs to really go for a mount here. And then like the fighter will look over oh, and then like actually like do the thing that they just heard.
1: We've had we've had instances like that where uh, we've had instances where Capri- I'll say something or Caprice will say something, and then we'll realize that that's what ended up happening, and then Capri we have to acknowledge it. You know the you know Caprice will say Ian they must have heard you, or I'll say hey, Caprice you're, they're on the same wavelength. <laughs> so <laughs> there's there's instances where that has happened for sure. How did Ring of Honor
0: find out about you?
1: Yeah, so. I was 27 and my wife and I had just bought our first house. And it was a little tiny house in a place called Glenside, Pennsylvania. And I still doing the pharmaceutical thing. And um, I was traveling a little bit for that. And I started at the Monster Factory. I was doing a a cable show called Phillies Nation TV Uh, And we're, I was interviewing famous Phillies fans. So I interviewed Mark Summers. I interviewed Tony Luke, the cheesesteak guy. And then I interviewed the blue Meanie. And so blue Meanie says, Hey, why don't we do it where there's a wrestling ring, where there's a cool environment. Let's go to the monster factory. Hmm. And so we went and I met with Larry Sharp and Danny Cage. Uh, Danny was about to take over and we had a great time. And I said to Danny, Hey, Danny, what if my friend wants to do wrestling broadcasting? How would he do that? And, (laughs) He said, the friend being you, yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's about this tall. Wears glasses. Right. <laughs> right. He's about six feet six feet tall. Red hair. Um, and he said, "Well, your friend should come learn how to set up the ring, break down the ring. Uh, your friend should start to come around the monster factory more and introduce himself to the wrestlers, and give me a whole list of things to do. And everything he said was spot on. And again, it's that idea of making yourself valuable and providing some sort of worth." With no expectation of being given anything back in return, that's so, that is a different path. That's a different path. Most com-
0: most commentators take the broadcasting path, mm-hmm. and then you know maybe they're calling play by play for baseball or hockey or football, whatever. Yeah. That's 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 like the wrestler referee path, which is so interesting to hear about.
1: Yeah, there's there's only a few of us that kind of came in this way. Off the top of my head, you know, Jim Ross did something similar. Uh, Kevin Kelly did something similar in Florida with Eddie Mansfield's promotion. Uh, They broadcast out of Universal Studios and that's really it. I mean, Michael Cole Cole was a war correspondent and uh, you know, a lot of the guys that you see, I know Rich Bocchini was an NHL commentator. So it's, it is an interesting path. It's, it's kind of rare, but I thought, you know what, I've always wanted to do this. Here's a chance. And so I started showing up, started putting up the ring, breaking down the ring, uh, with Damian Martinez, with Matt Riddle, um, you know, those guys and big crew and now LSG who's in Ring of Honor as well. And in February of 2014, Kevin Kelly came for a seminar. And I said to Danny Cage, I said, Danny, you know, can I come to this? He said, do you want a job in Ring of Honor or do you want to sit on your ass all day? Mm. And and sorry, sorry for cursing. Dan Housen's going to be very upset. (laughs) <laughs> and The internet, we can say whatever we want. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, Dan Housen. Yeah, sorry, Dan. Uh, and so I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to work for Ring of Honor. He goes, well, this might be your shot. Show up, wear a suit and, you know, figure out what you're going to say and, and make your pitch. And so I went and I introduced myself to Kevin and he said, hey, we're looking to do this thing called Future of Honor. And Future of Honor is going to be, it's either going to be individual shows or it's going to be web broadcasts of individual matches, but we need somebody. Essentially, you know, he was doing an hour a week of TV, he was doing all the pay per views, the events, the DVDs. They need to see a different voice. And he said, Come on in, we'll get you in the mix. And so started coming around in the summer of 14. And uh, over time, I started filling in for Kevin. If Kevin had a different obligation or if he had to go to Japan, and then by t- February, 2017, uh, I took the lead seat. And it was when Kevin signed with New Japan full time. And, you know, all I ever wanted, my, my plan was that if Kevin got a different opportunity or if Kevin decided to retire, to just be the first one they gave consideration to. Yeah. Uh, I, I knew that I might not be the, the permanent guy, but I just wanted to be, have a shot and I got the shot and I'm still here four years later. <laughs>
0: So if you know me, you know how much I love sleep. I talk about it all the time because I know how important sleep is, which is why I prioritize it every night. But life is too short to sleep between anything less than really nice sheets. But maybe you looked at some retailers and saw just how expensive good sheets are. Trust me, go check out Brooklyn. So Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't find them, they founded Brooklinen as the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without those luxury-level markups. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and your tastes, I have their luck sheets in white with the solid graphite duvet cover. Not only does it look amazing, but I've never slept better. Brooklinen has over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting, and they're so confident that you'll love their products, they even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. Go to brooklinen.com, use the promo code INSIGHT, you'll get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Enter the promo code INSIGHT, like the name of the show, and you'll get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's brooklinen.com. Use the promo code INSIGHT at checkout. Over the last year, we've all spent so much more time looking at screens and I can't even begin to tell you how much my blue blocks blue light glasses have helped out because I was the guy who halfway through the afternoon My eyes were starting to feel heavy. I was having trouble getting to sleep at night, and I thought it was just because I was overworked because you don't ever stop when you work from home. Then I figured out it was from too much blue light. Blue light damages our eyes and leads to digital eye strain, which looks like blurred vision, headaches, and dry, watery eyes. And for some people, it could even cause heightened anxiety, depression, and low energy. Well, Blue Blocks was created to fix this problem and block out the blue light with high-quality lenses. Unlike other types of blue light glasses, Blue Blocks are evidence-backed and made under optics laboratory conditions in Australia. They have over 40 frames to choose from. They come in prescription, non-prescription, and readers. So they really have frames for every single need. And the one that I wear is called Smith. If you follow me on Instagram, they're pretty sharp. You know, I'm not gonna lie. Kind of that... Clark Kent vibe. But most importantly, I I just can't say enough good things about how much they've helped with eye strain and how much better. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. I sleep at night now. And you can too. You can get your energy back, you can sleep better, and you can block out the unhealthy effects of blue light with Blue Blocks. Get free worldwide shipping and 15% off by going to blueblocks.com slash CVV or enter the code CVV15 at checkout. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com slash CVV for 15% off or just use that code CVV. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. Now, this isn't a crisis line. This isn't self-help. This is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room with traditional therapy ever again. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com. Dot com slash insight. That's betterhelp.com help, slash insight and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So the special offer for anybody listening to Insight right now is 10% off your first month. Just go to betterhelp.com slash insight insight that's better help slash insight what matches were you calling before that ring of honor you know before you had that like basically a shot with them
1: yeah i called uh, i called a lot of matches at the monster factory and what's pretty neat is it's a lot of the guys you see on tv right now so um you know matt riddle uh, Damian Priest, uh, LSG, who was in Ring of Honor, uh, Press 10 Vance of uh, the Dark Order and AEW was there, Nick Camarado, uh, who would be signed by NXT, and now I think might be with AEW or, or Nightmare Family. Um, those guys, there was a really good guy named Billy Damiana, who I think is a guy that WWE they brought him down for a tryout, and for whatever reason, it didn't work. And when it didn't work, he he hung it up. And that was just a few years ago. So he's a guy that I hope maybe reconsiders because mm. I think he was a natural. I think uh, he, he might still have more left. But stuff like that, yeah, you know, just um, whoever came through the Monster Factory, we'd have a lot of uh, a lot of the guys you see on TV before they got signed up come through.
0: <laughs> so how long did it go from you walking in there for the first time, starting to set up the ring, shake some hands, meet some people, till you were calling your first match in the Monster Factory? About six or seven months. Uh, that's a long time. It is. When you're in it, when you look back, ah, eh, just six or seven months. But when you're in it, that's a ton of time.
1: Yeah. And I think what broke the ice, and this is the way Danny Cage kind of operates. Danny um, Danny can, can be very uh, hard-headed. <laughs> Danny can be stubborn. Um, but it took me ripping the matches he posts off the secret YouTube page and putting commentary over them and saying, I'd like to do this please, you know, how do we get a a live feed? How do we get the live mics? It'd be a lot easier doing this live because I'm there anyway. (laughs) Yeah, It, It took me kind of doing that, taking that initiative to show them, Hey, this is something that I'm working on. I'm trying, I'm doing. And I think I have a shot to be decent at this. And this is how I can help the monster factory besides, you know, setting up the ring besides setting up the chairs and taking the tickets, that sort of thing. I
0: love this because so many people have big dreams like this and then they just sit back and wait for it to happen and they wait for their phone to ring. Well, guess what? Your phone's not just going to ring. And I love the fact that you took the initiative to go, here's what I want to do, but also here's what I can do. When you have a second, watch this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's going to be times when... Just that initiative, I, I guarantee that Danny didn't watch everything. You know, I guarantee, you know, he gave me pointers from time to time, and Kevin Kelly was really good at that. Yeah, our executive producer, right now, Delirious, I've known him since 2014 uh, when I started coming around Ring of Honor. He's been good at giving me pointers and things. But even just the fact that, hey, this person's hungry enough, they're sending me things. I might not be able to watch them all, but you know what? If they're that dedicated, And I've seen two or three out of their six things that they've sent me.
0: Yeah,
1: You know, the one time I showed up in San Antonio, I had frequent flyer miles. And I thought, you know what? It might be fun to go to San Antonio. I've never been. And this was before we had kids. And I showed up and I went to start helping the ring and Kevin Kelly pulled me aside. He said, hey, if you're going to show up and do this and no one booked you, you're at least going to call a match. So don't get all sweaty. (laughs) Get your suit on. Just relax a little bit. You'll call the opener. You'll call the dark match. I'll give you feedback on it. And it's that sort of thing where if you're showing the initiative, if you're trying to get better, if you're listening back to your own stuff, you will get better. And that will open some opportunities for you.
0: And I think most importantly, in all of what you're saying here is you bring value. You're bringing, you're showing them. It's not just what's in it for me. It's here's what I can do to help you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I learned that from brutal Bob Evans. Um, He's a guy that uh, had been a journeyman for a long time, had been wrestling, I think, since 1989 or 1990, uh, and got his first Ring of Honor break in 2010 or 2011, managing Mike Bennett. Uh, He was a manager, and he eventually turned that into a regular wrestling spot uh, in his early 40s. And he's a guy that same kind of thing where, you know, if you can serve first and kind of, say, Hey, this is what I can do. I'm going to give you this one for free, or I might give you these couple for free, <laughs> but over time, you know, here's how I can help. And here's, how I can get better. That leaves an impression, I think. And that's when we bring people in for ring of honors, tryouts and seminars and things like that, whether it's wrestlers, referees, uh, announcers, that's the sort of thing we look forward to is, you know, not that you'll work for free, but what do you bring that's different than everybody mm-hmm. else? Yeah. And can you find us, a, find a way to show us that?
0: Do you remember what your first Ring of Honor match was that you called?
1: I do. Chris LaRusso versus Cheeseburger. <laughs> and love Cheeseburger. He's great. Oh, he's great. Uh, now going by the world-famous CB. And uh, that was in Nashville, Tennessee. And that was one of those situations where, I, you know, I texted Kevin. I said, hey, you know what? I have this week off from work, or I can get a day or two off from work. Sarah has family in Nashville. If we come down, and, you know, can I help set up? And he goes... Yeah, you can help set up and bring your stuff. You know, we'll find your way to work in. Mm. And that was, uh, that was the first time I called a match. And cheeseburger won with the shote.
0: <laughs> so what was, what was like one main thing that you've learned from Kevin Kelly that you still apply to your broadcast now?
1: Oh, definitely prepare. Uh, preparation, preparation, preparation. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of things that come with that too. Sometimes preparing is anticipating moments. It's not just, it's not just knowing the move names. It's not just knowing the history. It is, what will I do if, what will I do if there's, if both men are down and it's a big moment in the main event? What will I do if there's a a shocking roll up out of nowhere? Um, What will I do if there's an unexpected outcome? Mm. And that's the kind of preparation that a lot of folks don't either think about or teach. Some people are really good at it spontaneously. Uh, but if you're not there yet, or if you don't have a feel for the the game, you know, I was only, you know, less than four years in when I became the, the Ring of Honor lead announcer. So I didn't have the feel that I do now. And I will, you know, hopefully continue to get better over time. Um, but You know, being prepared and thinking about different things that could happen in the match and having a a slight plan, not writing it down necessarily, but having a slight plan Mm. for things that could happen and trying to anticipate what might happen.
0: So when you first got your first break with Ring of Honor, I imagine you were still working in other jobs. So what was it that you were doing at that time?
1: Yeah, I was doing a pharmaceutical reimbursement. I was traveling, traveling the country quite a bit. And that has uh, nothing to do with wrestling. <laughs> no, uh, what I would do is I would go into doctor's offices and it was a neat job. I would, uh, I'd go in and I would, it was for a children's uh, pediatric product. And I'd go in and I'd help the physician's ensure that their patients could afford their medication. And Hmm. so it was really neat. I got to travel all over the country. My territory was Maine to uh, North Carolina, to Nebraska, to North Dakota. So I had the North. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I got to see every state in that that geography except for North Dakota.
0: Wow. So at what point did you realize... I can do this wrestling thing full-time and I don't need to do this pharmaceutical reimbursement job
1: anymore. Yeah. So the interesting thing is uh, I am my father's son. And so (laughs) I've, I've maintained that and I'm i I'm a seasonal adjunct professor at the Holy family university in Philadelphia. So, Oh, yeah. So I have taken that to a different role. Um, Ring of Honor pays me great and it's not a matter of it's not a matter of finances. Um, There was a moment in 2018 when I signed my first contract renewal where there was the moment of realization of, of, hey, I could I could stop doing both. Um, I got my first contract in April of 2017. And then renewed again in April of 2018 and in 2019. I signed a, a two year and then so on. Um, so it's very interesting because as I'm, I just engulfed as I was engulfed in student loan debt, which is about to be done. <laughs> hey, be done. congratulations! Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know, as I was trapped in that, uh, and then we had kids. I thought, well, wait a minute. If I can do everything, as long as I can do it. I might be able to save for our kids to not have to worry about this problem. Sure. So I actually maintain both. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's kind of wild. And I teach, uh, usually teach in the spring at Holy Family University. What do you teach? I teach introduction to sports media. Oh, wow. Well, who better to learn it from? This is great. <laughs> and you that's, that's really neat too. Cause I bring in, I brought in Kevin as a guest, guest speaker. I brought in Jeff Jones, uh, of AEW as a guest speaker, uh, Colt Cabana has spoke to my class. So I brought in a couple local sports personalities too, who've, um, you know, Pat Gallon, Spike Eskin, guys that if you're from the Philadelphia area, you might be familiar with. And uh, that's, that's been a lot of fun too. You know, you
0: mentioned your kids and I'm really curious to know
1: what they've taught you about you. Mm, Yeah, I, I've learned I'm a little bit more patient than I thought I was. And that's something that you have to, you have to find, uh, because when you're traveling, a lot of things can go wrong. Uh, flights get canceled or switched. Um, I'm I'm so impatient that I'm the type of guy when I come home from ring of honor, I usually have to connect through Charlotte from Allen to get to Allentown or connect through Philly, which is only 50 miles away. But, um, if that next leg gets canceled, I will hop in a rent a car and drive home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Charlotte's eight hours away. I'll make the eight-hour drive rather than staying overnight and waiting for the next flight the next morning. Uh, or Philadelphia's a little bit easier; it's only an hour away. But you know, I'm so impatient that I'll do that. Uh, so they've taught me a lot of a lot of patience. Uh, they've taught me, uh, a lot about dinosaurs, which does not help in any of my roles. <laughs> so this I, just adds to you being a Renaissance man. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I know a lot about, uh, ankylosauruses, T-rexes, Spinosaurus, Stegosaurus, uh, Allosaurus, you name it. <laughs> are they, are they, uh, I mean, I haven't learned about
0: dinosaurs since I was a kid. Are they now teaching that they are like, you know, could have had feathers. Is that like a thing we,
1: we know now? Yeah, so I've read a lot about that. And yeah. I've also read articles that dinosaurs might not have looked like we think they looked. Mm. And the example that they use is the hippo. So the hippo skull, if you look at a hippo skull, it's not what you think a hippo looks like. And so there's there's scientists out there that are are kind of warning that hey, in the next couple of years, if we get this technology right where we can kind of map out the DNA better and see maybe exactly what a dinosaur looked like, there might be some surprises. The T-Rex might not look like the T-Rex we know and love
0: now. (laughs) Oh, that's going to be so funny. That will completely ruin Jurassic Park for us.
1: (laughs) Right. Including the feathers, the potential of the feathers. Yeah.
0: How old are your kids? You have a boy and a girl, right?
1: Yep. uh, Four-year-old Zach and Nora turns two uh, February 26th. Oh, wow. You've got your
0: hands full with everything.
1: Yeah, it's, it's fun though. Um, you know, my wife, I couldn't do, couldn't do any of it, but I couldn't do all of it without my wife. Uh, she's makes a lot of sacrifices. She's the one that takes care of the kids when, you know, when I have to travel for ring of honor, which, you know, thankfully isn't much anymore. It's a couple of bubbles every couple of weeks, uh, you know, a couple of days in the bubbles every couple of weeks. So the burden's a little less strenuous and, you know, Zachary's growing up and he at four, we can trust him in a room with his books or his toys or his tablet. And he's a little less hands-on Nora's still, you know, Nora just turned two. So she's uh, he needs a lot of attention and care. So uh, but they're starting to play together and they're starting to really have fun together. So that's really neat to see. And uh, you know, they're, Sarah, though my wife is definitely the uh, the the hero of the family, and she's the one that keeps it all together. <laughs> I love that.
0: When you are on the road, who were who's the person that you're traveling with and rooming with?
1: Yeah, for a long time it was Colt Cabana, sure. and uh, I have some your broadcast
0: Ooh. partner at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it was so much fun to travel with him. I learned learned a lot about him. I learned a lot about saving money while traveling with him. Um, Ring of Honor is awesome, in that they'll pay for the rent, car, the flight, the hotel but like almost every other company, you know, if you're an independent contractor, you got to pay for your food. So sure. Colt and I found new ways to save money on food, um, making and packing peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And and again, this is, you know, from two guys that are being extremely well compensated. Like we did not have to do this, but it would almost become a contest on, on who could eat Cheaper, and who could get the most uh, most bang for their buck? And uh, I'll never forget walking through a grocery store with Minoru Suzuki, and Minoru had a lot of different groceries. He had some meat. He had some, you know just a lot of different things. And there, Colt and I are ready to split a dozen bagels and a thing of powdered peanut butter <laughs> and <laughs> an all natural jelly. <laughs> For the entire week, for breakfast. So but, while uh,
0: everybody else is going to Denny's and Outback yeah. and Texas Roadhouse, so you guys are like, let's just find the nearest grocery store,
1: right? But Colt also is super generous. So whenever we did go out, Colt would usually pick up the tab for me. And oh wow. that's not something he ever needed to do, um, but it was always something that he he wanted to do and and really appreciated uh, at the time. And I tried to explain to him, hey, now, Ring of Honor is taking care of me. I'm new, but you know, they made it worth my while and, you know, the other things taking care of me, you don't need to do it. Uh, but yeah, he would always, you know, when we will go to Denny's and, you know, there's a Denny's in near the Buffalo airport that we had a lot of fun at, uh, you know, whether we were doing the wrestling in Buffalo or going to Toronto and then coming back and staying in Buffalo to travel after that, the Denny's by the airport would always be a lot of fun. And he'd always pick up the tab there. Uh, now I travel with Caprice Coleman and Caprice is a lot of fun for different reasons caprice and I actually have much more similar music tastes believe it or not um, he's real big into uh, 60s Motown uh, he's real big into some of the 70s rock stuff the 80s hip-hop um, so we get along in that regard because we always are on the same wavelength music wise in the car and that can make you know traveling from Atlanta to Nashville uh, a lot quicker
0: I love the hip-hop references that you <laughs> work in your commentary like these random 80s and 90s hip-hop lyrics I'm like ah i got that i understand that <laughs> yeah
1: that comes a lot from my brother uh the two sources of that are my brother and i watch a lot of sports center um which is huge in in the u.s uh on espn and there were guys like dan patrick uh keith overman kenny main um the list goes on and they would make these references to songs from the 50s and 60s in the 90s uh, or you know even 70s so You know, to give it that space and that proportion, I thought, well, what if I what if I kind of do the same thing? What if I talk about a lot of the stuff that that I liked and weave it in? Um, You know, Dusty Rhodes always gave that advice too. Of you know, you can you can borrow things you see in movies. You can borrow things that you hear on the radio. Um, If it inspires you, why not use it? And then there's a famous Jim Cornette quote where. Uh, stealing from one person's plagiarism, stealing from a lot of people, is uh, reverence, or, you know, I forget what his quote, his quote officially is, but if you steal from one person's plagiarism, if you, if if you steal from many, it's research. That's what he said. So, so, you know, I did a lot of research, you know, in my time on on commentary, and you'll hear things, there's been some deep cuts, you know, not a lot of people caught the Houdini references I made. Not a lot of people caught uh, the uh, Geez, i don't even know what fab five freddy references but uh a lot of people did seem to catch the run dmcs um, you know some of the, the ll cool j some of the more common ones
0: yeah i follow me down this path here because i think it's a great compliment when someone doesn't notice the commentary mm. because if they do yeah. notice the commentary sometimes it's not for the right reasons so Someone might be watching one of their favorite Ring of Honor matches ever, and not even really realize that you're just you're walking them through this experience.
1: Yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. And what's really interesting is I didn't really start to subscribe to that until I was in this video game uh, retro mania that's coming out, and what was clear in the beta testing was that people were responding really negatively to my commentary and Colt's mm. commentary in the beta run. And it was for different reasons. It, there's two reasons. One, it was too loud and they, they mixed it down and they made it blend with the crowd noise and now it's really cool. Um, and the other was, it was too frequent mm. and that it was just calling everything. It was calling every move. It was calling every tag, every pin. And there's something to be said for that. About you know not making yourself the the front of what people are seeing and not mm-hmm. putting yourself to sort of the front of the line of a person's attention um, when they are trying to watch these athletes grapple and wrestle and determine who's the best wrestler. So you know just that experience really helped reinforce that in me that yes I can be myself yes I can be excited but you know what they're not here to listen to me they're here. Yeah at, at worst for the whole package. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe specifically to see these two or two, four or eight guys or gals wrestle. So yeah. knowing that, you know, there's a little bit of element of, you know, can we do this where we're informative, but we're a little bit of white noise and we're just a yeah. nice soundtrack. That's, that's part of the growth and the growing experience that yeah. you still work on, you know, no matter if you're four years in or 10 years in or, or 20 years in.
0: Yeah, and whether you love him or you hate him, the absolute best at that is Joe Buck. He's yeah. so good at just letting the moment breathe. And then it yeah. almost feels like if you're watching this on TV, you're like, huh. it's like this is what it would sound like if I was there.
1: Right. You know, Joe Buck is somebody that, again, I think everybody, everybody who's a baseball fan might feel, or even a football fan too, might yeah. feel like he hates your team. Yes, uh, be, I, I, you know, I'm an Eagles fan, diehard Eagles fan, but I've talked to Dallas fans and Dallas fans, oh, Joe Buck hates us. And then I'm like, no, Joe Buck hates us. Like, didn't you didn't hear that? <laughs> but yeah. it's because he's just presenting factual information and he is the person, again, like you said, where... You know, the end of the night call, the, uh, the my favorites, the moonshot, uh, Matt Stairs, where, you know, you just see the ball leave Dodger Stadium and you just see it and you feel it and you feel the air just deflate out of the Dodger fans. And then he mo- just real simple moonshot. And then, you know, that's all it needs to do <laughs> sometimes.
0: So, <laughs> Who were some of the broadcasters wrestling or otherwise that you looked up
1: to growing up? yeah yeah kind of surprising but if you listen to me uh for any amount of time vince mcmahon um what about over yeah i mean there's something (laughs) we talked about not making yourself a center of attraction but just the energy and the enthusiasm yeah he's somebody that if you are a kid and you're watching that you're like this is the coolest thing in the world this dude's so excited how am I not supposed to be excited? If, yeah. if this man who's 40 years old, this guy's as old as my dad and he's super excited about it. I got to be excited too. This is so cool. So Vince McMahon <laughs> he was one of those guys. Yeah. Um, I was like Tony Schiavone. Uh, Tony was a guy that, uh, you know, he seemed to just know his stuff and you kind of build that trust that this guy knows his facts, you know, he knows the wrestlers He gets his information correct, Uh, but he had those peaks and valleys too. Where you know, if there was a big moment, you know, even today in AEW, the the sting, sting, you know, (laughs) like he still still knows when to to flip it on and flip it off. And then Jim Ross is probably the third in terms of you know. When I was a kid, uh, my first exposure to Jim Ross, we got WCW in uh, 1990 or 91 for the first time. Um, So Allentown. Growing up, before there was cable or before cable was huge, uh, we got all the syndicated shows, and we get the networks from New York and Philadelphia uh, and some out-of-town stations, too, that actually carried wrestling. Uh, so we finally got the NWA in 1990, and uh, just hear Jim Ross for the first time time—you know, talk about the athletic backgrounds that everybody had. Talk about, uh, you know, just the importance of the, the and the championship and, you know, whoever's got the championship costs the most money. And, you know, you want to be on the magazine covers and this and that and building the stakes around everything. There's no better, you know, there's no better than Jim Ross.
0: Well, you just named three icons
1: there. right?
0: (laughs) do, Do you want to be the guy that 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, people associate ring of honor with your voice
1: and their favorite moments? I hope so. Um that'd be really cool. I I don't know that it's a secret that um, I've had at least uh, interest from other companies. And one of the things that keeps me really engaged and involved in Ring of Honor was uh, kind of a point I made earlier. There's maybe eight of us that have the privilege of being the guy, you know, and Ring of Honor right now only has one television show. And we only have a handful of pay-per-views a year. We had a number of live events before the pandemic. We used to have about 40 a year. Uh, but it was really neat to be the guy, you know, that every time that you turn on Ring of Honor, um, you'd hear me with, you know, with one exception, the, the you know, the week my daughter was born. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it was always neat to kind of be that person and have that identity. Um, I didn't mention his name, but Joey Styles um, was somebody that you can't talk about ECW without talking about Joey Styles. So of there's this... I don't know if it's ego. I don't know if it's the desire to kind of build and cement a legacy. Uh, There's always that little piece in the back of my head that I always loved Ring of Honor. It's something that, you know, was created when I was in high school and I bought the VHS tapes and later the DVDs. It's something I followed for a long time and it's always been about the best wrestling on the planet. So for me, it's something that I can believe in. It's something, it's a company that's treated me right either before the pandemic, you know, when I, when we had my daughter, they paid me for a full month. I didn't work a single show. Um, They've made travel arrangements when they didn't need to for me. Um, They've done a number of different things. They've, they've, you know, just been awesome. Uh, So I have this extreme loyalty to them. Um, I hope it's reciprocated. I feel like it is. And, you know. I think I have an opportunity. There's not many people that can say that they've done what Joey Styles did, where yeah. for almost eight years straight, he was the guy. Yeah. And so I'm hoping that I can sort of build upon the same thing and Ring of Honor.
0: Well, you, you were part of such a, an historic event with All In. And I mean, that was so cool seeing you there, hearing you there. <laughs> I, like a lot of other fans, just assumed that when AEW became a thing that you were going to be attached to that. It, was that ever part of the conversation?
1: Um, you know, I don't know. And and that sounds like such a weird thing to say. Uh, there's a couple folks who are now involved in AEW that said, Hey, just keep in touch. Um, a lot of people's contracts in, in wrestling tend to expire on January 1st. And, Mine had a weird cycle. Mine ended on April 1st, my wife's birthday, uh, just because when I started in 2017 as a a full-time guy. So um, I think there was some assumption that I was available and I had a lot of interest. And, uh, you know, they had said, Matt Jackson's just simple, keep in touch. And I don't know what that meant or or means. Um, Maybe they had something in mind for me. Maybe they didn't. And um, you know it's it's exciting to see them succeed. It's exciting to see what they're doing. Um, you know at the same time, you know there were some other offers on the table as well, which made it even more anxiety inducing. Because April sixth was Madison Square Garden, and so <laughs> there's I definitely had to make some sort of decision
0: yeah.
1: uh, by April the first, and I wasn't gonna call Madison Square Garden and then bolt. You know I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna do that. And so I knew that I had to, to tell somebody sooner or later what was happening. And I remember when I decided um, Ring of Honor. You know, I, I pulled Carrie Silken aside and I said, "Carrie, I love this place. I love what we built. I might have other options. There's there's a concrete one. Um, there's kind of a keep in touch one, which we mentioned with AEW. And I don't know what that means, but you know, I want to stay here. And so Carrie, this was in Atlanta at Center Stage." He walked the building and Carrie's not the fastest guy anymore. He's had hip surgery and back surgery. <laughs> he walked the building until he found Joe Koff. And Joe Koff pulled me aside and said, you know, Carrie Kerry says you got some different options. Um, what do you think? He's like, if, if you want to stay here, we'll make it work. And, wow. and I said, yeah, I'd love to stay here. And he said, well, what do you want? And I gave him a number and he said, let me talk to Greg and we'll see, you know, we'll see what we can do. And he said, I'm not going to tell you yes or no, because I." he's like, to be honest, he, you know, he said, I'm going to be honest. I don't focus that, you know, those line items, not something I do. That's something Greg manages. Um, and the next day in Charlotte, I had a, a contract uh, for, wow. for 2019, 2020 and, and so on. And so, you know, that was I don't know if I was ever in AEW's plans. Uh, one thing I do know is that for all in, we really hope Tony Schiavone could have gotten off from football that day. Um, it was always one of my dreams to call a match with Tony and, uh, you know, we were hoping that he'd get off the original team before it was ever announced was some sort of rotation of me, Colt, Tony and Excalibur. Um, and then Colt wanted to wrestle and then Tony couldn't get off or, or something. I think that's what happened. Uh, he's still calling Georgia football, which sec football, you know, is, is King. So sure. I, then it became Excalibur and I, and then Don Callis uh, worked in. So. That was such a cool event and i don't know if it'll ever happen again i hope it will i uh, i hope there would be some sort of thing where the organizations can come together um and make it even bigger this time i mean there's you know there was no cmll rep- representation last time so bring in some cmll guys um there was only one women's match so make two women's matches three women's matches uh, bring in some all japan talent noah DDT, you just bring everybody and make it a real kind of world series, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that'd be really cool. And I think that would be something that would be doable, uh, especially now because things, you know, live events with the pandemic, you know, you can't really have fans. It would be something to kind of just do in secret and then one day announce it and already have it filmed. <laughs> just, yeah, just that's airing. true. So, I mean, you know, it'd be really cool. It was kind of a once in a lifetime thing. Um, but I'm really proud of the AEW guys. Sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, sometimes I feel like maybe I could have gone there. Maybe I couldn't only, you know, Cody, Matt, Nick, you know, the only of those guys will know only Tony Connell know, but, uh, you know, I left it open until I had to make a decision and, uh, ring of honor has always been great to me and loyal to me. And they've bent, bent backwards and, and sideways for me. So I wanted to be there for them.
0: So at the end of the day, it came down to loyalty. You had this other concrete offer from wwe right so uh, it, <laughs> so it's another concrete offer right and you're like but i'm gonna stay with with the company that's been loyal to me i'm gonna be loyal to them
1: all right absolutely yeah then it's you know it was tricky because there's people involved um bj whitmer is one of my best friends in wrestling right. and he um you know, he ended up with a, a great role in AEW, yeah. and I would have loved working with BJ. He to continue to work with BJ. Um, it would have been neat to call matches with Jim Ross um, yeah. and Tony Schiavone, and you know, Excalibur and I thought did well at All In, uh, so it would have been cool to see kind of how that all felt together. Um, there's also the part of you as a kid that you know WWE. When you're a kid, that's that's the thing. You know, that's the thing that you want to do. Sure, and it's really weird to have somebody reach out and and have interest and have to tell them, Hey, you know what? I'm good. (laughs) It's really, you know, you have all those dreams as a kid and then, you know, to have to say, Hey, you know what? I don't want to take that meeting because I don't want to have to say no. And I know in my heart that I'm going to have to say no. Mm. So let's not have the conversation. So I don't have to say no, (laughs) you know, it's, it's one of those things where I don't want to go that rabbit hole. And I don't want to blow a first impression because ring of honor is what I knew that I wanted to do.
0: Yeah, it's also wrestling. You know, who right. knows what's going to happen a few years oh, now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. with you know, I would have never guessed that WXW from Germany would be on WWE Network. I would have never guessed that. Uh, you know, I, I knew AEW had a, a good shot at success, but they're a little bit more successful And I think. Even the most optimistic person would have guessed yeah um there are different times when you know impact I, I like them a lot i watch them um there are different times in their history where you know they had a video game they're on spike tv and then they hit some hard times on their back um same thing with the rank of honor where you know we'll lose you know five ten guys at a time and then next man woman up And, you know, just, you just kind of soldier on. So you really don't know what's next. So, I mean, it's not obviously no forever, but I just, I love what we're doing right now in Ring of Honor. And uh, I've always appreciated how they treated me. I I just love
0: your positive attitude and your drive. (laughs) You're such a sweetheart of a man. I mean that with great love (laughs) and great respect for you.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> I, uh,
0: I've really enjoyed this. And I think that it's great for people to learn a little bit more be- about the man behind the voice, because so often they're just hearing you. Often right. they're not even seeing you for very long. So it's it's nice to know what your path has been to get to this point. And I'm excited to see where this path continues for you.
1: Yeah, there's there's so much, so much more to come to Ring of Honor. And right now, I think Ring of Honor is in a phase where... You know, there's so much wrestling available, and a lot of it's free. A lot of it, you know, if you're a cable subscriber, if you have an internet connection, you can watch AEW Dark, you can watch Impact, you can watch WWE. Um, but Ring of Honor is the same way. You know, you can watch Ring of Honor on Fight TV, on wrestling.com uh, And right now, I think we're getting slept on a little bit. I think there's, between the pure wrestling, between Roosh, Dragon Lee, uh, you know, the stars we have from Mexico, Bandito. Who was in the main event at all? In Um, Jay Lethal, Jonathan Gresham—you know that kind of talent. Um, You know, it's something where, you know, with the ebbs and flows of kind of what's popular and what's being overlooked, I'd say we're on the overlooked side right now. Mm. And I think that 2021 is just going to be a huge year for Ring of Honor because as the word starts to get out, you know, people who give us a shot and who watch us that maybe haven't seen us in a year or two since some of their favorites went to different organizations they become repeat viewers. So if you haven't checked us out in a while, um, you know, I appreciate, you know, just the opportunity to turn on Ring of Honor and to see Jonathan Gresham or to see Tracy Williams or to see Roosh. You know, there's nobody like those guys right now.
0: Yeah, I've really enjoyed this. And I end every interview talking about gratitude. I I, I start every day and every day with gratitude. So Mm -hmm. I say that if you can be grateful, you'll live a great life. So what are three things right now, Ian, that you're grateful for?
1: Oh geez. uh definitely my family uh abs- you know absolutely and uh, just that you know my wife who just quit a job to take a new job and you know, brand new journey, you know, she's still the rock of the family, even though, you know, I try and play with the kids as much as I can. And I read, and we have a lot of fun. Uh, mom is still mom and mom's the one they seek first. So yeah. just her balancing everything. And, you know, when she's on a work call to try and scurry them away or to do something fun with them uh, so they don't, you know, bug her, uh, you know, I'm super grateful for my family and just the, uh, the support there uh, grateful for the opportunity at ring of honor. Um, you know, they, there were things that, uh, you know, again, there were moments in 2020 where there's the pandemic or other situations where ring of honors future was a little cloudy and it was a little up in the air and just grateful that the folks in charge, I mentioned Joe Koff, I mentioned Greg, uh, Gary Jester's another, um, was the longtime promoter for us, uh, just had a vision and wanted to restart safely and, you know, by doing the bubbles and spending the extra money to bring us all in for a week, by making sure that we had the accommodations and and things at the arena and the testing. Um, It's kept us safe and it's kept our family safe. So I'm grateful for that. And uh, I guess just for our health in general, um, we've been extremely lucky in that we're in a position, you know, financially right now, we are secure where we don't have to work in an environment where we're exposed to more risk. Um, We don't have to to do things that put our family's health in jeopardy. And so I've just been grateful that, you know, we've had those accommodations over the last, geez, 10 months, uh, 11 months that have kept us safe and healthy and, you know, able to do all the fun things, you know, beyond wrestling. We've been able to sled lately and all the snow we've got, we've been able to (laughs) take the kites out and uh, fly them around in the park and do fun stuff like that. I love it. Those are three great
0: things. (laughs) I've loved this. Ian Riccoboni. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure joining in.
0: I love it. That is a story of a guy who had a dream and chased after that dream. And most importantly, he brought value. That is huge. If there's one thing that you take away from this whole conversation, it should be that. Bring value in everything that you do. That's how Ian is doing what he's doing right now. Value. Hmm. Make sure to subscribe to Insight wherever you get your podcasts. Tag Ian and I on social media and let us know what stood out for you the most in this interview. I'm guessing it might be value. He is at Ian Riccoboni on social media. I am at Chris Van And as the late, great Jim Rohn famously said, you don't get paid for the hour. You get paid for the value that you bring to that hour. Be great. Be grateful. We'll see you on the next one for some more
1: insight. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working. The HVAC is humming and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces. Plus 24 seven customer support. His venue never misses a beat.